You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today we're going to talk about body positivity. But first, let's catch up on life lately. Abby, what's new with you? I have been trying out grocery delivery from Shipt. Mm. And I got into this because people rave about how easy this makes their life. And I just don't see it, y'all. <laughs> I don't I'm glad this is the direction this was going because I'm also not a fan of grocery delivery for possibly different reasons, possibly the same. So continue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm doing it wrong or what, but it feels like not that much more work mm -hmm. than just making a list and going to get it myself. Some of that is that we are so close to the grocery store. And some of that is that I am new to using the platform, so figuring out the website or the app to find the thing that I want is taking me some sort of on-ramping time. I think part of it also is that I usually shop at more than one store, so I get a lot of things at our co-op, which is not participating in grocery delivery, and then I get other stuff at the conventional grocery store that is a three-minute walk from the co-op, so... Mm -hmm. If I'm still going to the co-op, I don't know that it saves me that much time, but I tried it because I wanted to do both grocery stores and basically Pepper was losing his mind because he needed a nap and he wouldn't nap in the stroller that day. And so I had to leave the traditional grocery store unshopped. So I had the list already. So I came home and did it. Mm -hmm. And I think that was helpful. But in terms of thinking about doing it on the regular, I don't think I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to cancel it. My first month is almost up, so I think I'm done. But listeners, if there's something that I'm missing that would uh -huh. make this work for me, let me know what it is. I've only tried it once. I tried it shortly after E was born, mm -hmm. thinking that would be easier, that we could just have groceries come. I felt like it took a lot of time. I hate dealing with online systems in that way. Mm -hmm. I don't get joy out of online shopping. I find it a very frustrating use of my time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it gets streamlined once you do it a lot, right? Because you have your basic list, and I think you can often repeat it. Mm. And so the initial times take a lot more work than later times. Oh, yes. That is not something I considered, but that makes sense. I've really found that I like going to the grocery store. Not that I like the errand of it, mm -hmm. but I find it to be one of those places where you randomly bump into people that you know, and those little conversations that you have there, they make me feel more connected in the community and more at home in this place. And I like that part of it. Even though it's not as convenient as having stuff delivered to my doorstep, it feels worth the inconvenience to me. Yeah. What's new with you, Sarah? I want to talk to you about a recent purchase of mine, which was vacuum seal storage bags. Mm. So we have an issue in our house, which is the humidity and things getting musty and weird over time. <laughs> and whatever it is, the mildew mold combination makes me sneeze. So after the summer, even when we try and keep the humidity down in our house, I still have to wash every blanket we own before I could put it on our bed or yeah. I cannot sleep from the sneezing. And I thought, this is ridiculous. What if we get the vacuum seal storage bags it will take up less space because that's another frustration of mine is that we have so many blankets because we keep our house really cold in the winter and need lots of blankets. But then in the summer, there's just big piles of comforters with no place to go. 
got the bags. It is just as satisfying as I thought it would be to put things in, put the vacuum on it, and just watch it go down. (laughs) So much joy has been brought into my life. I wish I would have gotten them in the spring because that obviously would have been the appropriate time to do this. And I am stealing all of our things weeks before we're going to need to pull them out again. But don't care. Love it. Want to get more. Want to do it with all my winter clothes. So many things are going to be in these bags. I remember when we moved here from Nashville that I packed in vacuum seal bags. Mm -hmm. And I just remember how satisfying it was to take, as you said, giant piles of linens and shrink them down into very manageable shapes and sizes to fit into the moving van. Yes, that had never occurred to me, but genius. Well, thank you. I'm sure that I didn't invent it. (laughs) Nope, but it never occurred to me, so... (laughs) Let's move into what we've been reading. Abby, what is your latest read that you'd like to share? I recently finished The Importance of Being Little, What Preschoolers Really Need from Grownups by Erica Christakis. And this is a nonfiction book about child development and early education. Okay. It's part critique of preschool in the United States. Part stories about children that the author has interacted with as a preschool teacher, researcher, and parent, and part reassurance that children will be okay regardless of what their early school experience is like. Mm, Love that part. Because I picked up the book and put it down because I was like, I can't handle any judgment about any of my choices right now. I think that was probably the right choice. Mm. The thing that I did not love about it that I'll say first since you brought that up is that the tone can be judgmental at times. Mm. I think... I found the subject matter so fascinating, and I am so in this with my kids right now, Mm -hmm. and a lot of what I am thinking already was confirmed by the book, that I didn't mind the judgmental pieces as much, but I do see how it could be a problem for folks who are questioning their choices or who don't care as much about this stuff as I do. They might not be as enthralled Mm -hmm. by the stories and the research. Or just that have had to make compromises, because that's what I really felt, was that all of our values can't all have highest priority, and I don't really want somebody else pointing out any compromises that I've made, because I want to be at peace with those. I don't know if that makes sense or not. I think it does. But overall, I liked it, despite that challenge. I think in a parallel universe, I run a preschool, Mm, (laughs) and this let me kind of imagine that and delve into that a little bit. I would recommend this for people who are excited about child development and early education, but I'm not sure it's going to do much for you if you're not into that stuff. Or like you said, you have questions about decisions that you've had to make for your kids. Mm -hmm. I think that I might want to pick this up in the future, just that when it came to me was at a time that was just not a good fit for what it has to offer. Fair enough. What have you been reading, Sarah? I read The Great Alone by Kristen Hanna, and she is also the author of The Nightingale, which I very much did not like, despite its popularity. (laughs) Right. But I enjoyed this one much more. It's about a family who moves to a remote part of Alaska in the 1970s for a new start. Drama ensues in beautiful setting. (laughs) (laughs) The setting was truly the star of the novel. There were a few plot points that I couldn't quite get on board with, but the way she wrote about Alaska made up for it. Mm. It made me want to go there and really made me feel like I had been there through her writing. 
I love that when place plays such an important role in a story. That's really awesome. And I think, like you said, can help you overlook things Mm -hmm. that don't work. Yes. Reading another book of hers helped me zero in on some of the things that I didn't love about The Nightingale. I think what I find frustrating about her writing is that she is so explicit and leaves no room for nuance. Mm. I want to reach conclusions on my own. I don't mind being led in the right direction by the author. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're trying to make certain points and they want you to get certain things out of the book. But I feel like I'm being beat over the head by the conclusions in her writing. (laughs) And it makes me feel like she doesn't trust me as a reader or doesn't Mm -hmm. think that I am smart enough as a reader to get there on my own. And I really resent that. Yeah, it's a little condescending. Yes, that is exactly it. In spite of all that, I would still recommend it if you're looking for a novel that has that really strong sense of place. I got very much drawn into the story and could not put it down. I do want to offer a trigger warning for folks, though, that there is emotional and physical abuse. Let's move into our main segment for today, which is body positivity. Right off the bat, we want to acknowledge that we are both straight-bodied people and are still learning about this and are not experts in any way. We both enjoy a lot of straight-bodied and able-bodied privilege. And so when we're talking about this stuff, we're talking specifically from our own perspective, but we're going to point you all towards some really great resources at the end that do a much better and more eloquent and more educated job about talking about this than we can. Absolutely. We wanted to go ahead and offer a kind of working definition of our understanding of body positivity to get started. It is a liberation movement that believes that all bodies are good bodies and every body is worthy of respect. There are no exceptions or qualifications to that respect. For example, it's not, it's fine if you're in a larger body as long as you're healthy. It is whatever body you are in is fine and good and worthy of dignity and respect. Yep. How did you first learn about body positivity? I first learned about it via a friend from my Facebook mom group. So she got really into it and started educating us and sharing what to read and who to follow on Instagram. She's still an inspiration to me and is sort of like my local expert Mm -hmm. and a person that I often go to if I have questions. How did you first learn about body positivity, Sarah? From you. (laughs) So basically, also from my friend. (laughs) Yes. So many good things in my life have come through you and your friends. (laughs) Yeah. And also thanks to social media, because you and I both share the Friendlier account and you followed a lot of these resources we're going to point to later about fat activism and body positivity. And as I was looking through all of their posts and learning more about it, it really shifted my perspective. Right. Let's talk a little bit more about those shifts. How has it changed the way that you think about food? I definitely used to think that cutting foods, like going sugar-free for a while, Mm -hmm. was acceptable food-related behavior for me, but it turns out that's actually borderline disordered when it comes to my body. Some people definitely have allergies or sensitivities, but I don't. So restricting food in that way is just another way for me to try and control my instincts and my body, and the body positivity movement helped me realize that. Yes. I agree with everything that you said. I think I identified very strongly as an abstainer who benefited from an all-or-nothing approach to food Mm. and that it was easier for me to just say, I'm not eating any sugar, than it would be to listen to my body. 
And I have since realized that what you're saying, it's really just keeping me from actually listening to my body and that restricting in any way is making it harder to trust myself. Yeah. And I think that kind of restriction, what I learned at least, is that always has a consequence down the line Mm -hmm. that if I restrict at one point, then -hmm. I'll probably binge later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's not anything wrong with binging, but I don't feel awesome when I do it. And so it's just better for me to pay attention to what my body wants. Mm -hmm. And if I am in touch with that, to give it to it. Yes. I think I also used to have a lot of moral judgments around food. So Mm. if I was eating white bread, I would think, well, this would really be better if I was eating whole wheat bread. Sure. I shouldn't be having this. Or same with white pasta versus whole wheat or any number of things. I really did believe that certain foods were good and certain foods were bad. And I used up a lot of mental energy contemplating where I was on that spectrum on any given day. Mm -hmm. And now food takes up so much less brain space. Mm. I just eat food or I don't eat food and I'm not in my head about it. And I think that is a positive for my general health and my mental health. Definitely. So that's the food piece. What about how it's made you think about exercise in a new or different way? So we touched on this a little bit when we talked about exercise. We have a full episode Mm -hmm. dedicated to that, which we can link to in the show notes. But how I like to think about exercise is that it's something I like to do for my body and not to my body. I love that. And I think that mentality has been both supported and reinforced as I've learned more about health at every size. I don't know that it's changed how I move my body, but it's changed how I think about it again. Yes. Now, the fact that I don't want to go do really hard workouts multiple times a week doesn't feel like a should in my life, that in my Mm. ideal world, I would be doing this. Now I think, no, my ideal world is exactly what I'm doing, Yeah, which is walking and biking for exercise, occasionally lifting weights, and listening to my body about when and how it needs to move. Nice. So those first questions were more about how it's changed our behaviors and our view of our behaviors, but what about how it's changed how you view your body as a whole and body image. So I have never really loathed my body in a way that a lot of people talk about. I think some of that is because, as discussed, I'm a relatively straight-bodied person in a world that commends and celebrates bodies like mine, and my body is generally considered societally acceptable. But despite that, I still have wanted my body to look different in the past, and so I think I'm still on a journey with my body and striving for 100% radical acceptance and respect. Mm -hmm. Being postpartum is challenging because of how rapidly my body has changed and because of the hormones and sleep deprivation that come along with that. Yes, I'm really thankful for the framework of body positivity because I can explore all of these things through that framework. Mm -hmm. And I'll also say that after having babies, there's this pull to celebrate what my body can do. But I also want to push back against that because I think that's a tricky place to go because some people's bodies don't make babies or some people's bodies don't feed their babies. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that those bodies are any less worthy or good. So this is something that I am really still working on. I very much feel in process as well and have a similar experience of overall, I think I've had a very positive body image throughout adolescence and my adulthood so far. But I think a lot of that is exactly as you said, because I have a body that society says is good. Right. 
and that I don't think I'm at the point of radical acceptance. There was an Instagram post by Danny Adriana from a while back that talked about if you're afraid of gaining weight and being in a larger body, you're not there yet. Right. You're not at that point where you're truly embracing your body because you need to be able to embrace it in any shape that it will be. So while I don't feel like I'm at the end of this journey by any stretch of the imagination, like you, I am really grateful for being on it at all. Yeah. And I feel that especially after being diagnosed with breast cancer, and I think a lot of the way we talk about breast cancer in our culture is very on the surface, and there's a lot of talk about what does it mean to be in a whole body. Mm. I felt fortunate that my surgeon did not push reconstruction in a way that I think many women experience when they have breast cancer. There was very little that I was sure of in the days after being diagnosed, but I did know that reconstruction was not something that I wanted. I had a bilateral mastectomy with no reconstruction, which in the cancer community is also known as going flat. And I think I would have made that choice, even if I didn't know anything about body positivity. But having that framework gave me confidence in my decision that I could love and appreciate my new body, regardless of how it fits into societal norms of femininity and beauty. Yeah. And I don't remember feeling angry at my body for getting cancer, which I think is a thing a lot of people feel. Mm. And to me, it's like, this is what my body- This is what happened. I don't think I can say it without crying. My body's doing the very best that it can. And then yeah. in my case, that's having cancer. Yeah. <laughs> and to have this love for my body, even in this hard thing, rather than feeling anger. Mm. It's really a gift. Yes. How has it changed your awareness of how you view other people's bodies? Body positivity has definitely awakened me to my thin and able-bodied privilege in a big way. So when people see me, they assume that I'm healthy because I'm straight bodied mm -hmm. and because we equate being thin with health mm -hmm. societally. And I know I've made assumptions along those lines in the past about other people's bodies. And I am really thankful that my eyes have been open to that so that I can examine how I think about other folks' bodies how I'm classifying them in my head, and how I subconsciously assign value to things like health. Yes. I have definitely absorbed society's messaging that is incredibly pervasive, that straight-sized bodies are both healthier and better in some kind of moral sense. It feels hard to admit that and how blind I was to my privilege before. I am definitely working to confront those biases and I'm grateful that I can now identify and recognize those biases so that I can work to overcome them. There's the way of seeing health as related to body size, but there's also just a more general, if you are healthy, you are a better person mm -hmm. idea that underpins a lot of our society's messages. Yep. And once again, having cancer really forced me to confront that. And what does it mean to be in a body that's not healthy? Right. I think even within the body positivity movement, that this can sneak in, this idea of you can be bigger bodied mm -hmm. if you're a track star, or you can yes. be bigger bodied if you are also 
capable of doing these things, mm-hmm. but it's not okay to have a bigger body if your body can't do these things. And that to me doesn't really feel like body positivity because like right. you said at the beginning, there shouldn't be any qualifications. Mm-hmm. Yes. One thing both of us think about a lot is the kind of messages we're teaching our children. How has learning about body positivity changed the way you parent your kids? So I've been thinking about this a lot lately because Pepper is a bigger baby and people like to comment Mm -hmm. that he's a bigger baby. And for the most part, their comments are positive. Mm -hmm. They're saying that he's healthy. They're saying that he's beautiful because he's bigger. But at some point, if he continues to be in a bigger body, that will shift. Mm -hmm. And they will start making judgments about how healthy he is. And how good of a parent you are. And how good of a parent I am based on the size of my kid. So. I really am not sure how to guide my children to cultivate this radical body acceptance Mm -hmm. in a culture that likes to talk about how big my five-month-old's thighs are. Agreed. We are still trying to figure all of that out over here as well. You and I just had a long conversation off pod about how much we're still trying to figure this out and that we do not have all the answers. A phrase that has worked well with our kids has been, All bodies are different. All bodies are good bodies. Mm. And I don't want my kids to feel afraid of recognizing or acknowledging difference. Mm -hmm. But I do want to remove the judgment from that difference. Yeah. And like you, I'm still figuring out how to do that in a society that is not trying to do that and doesn't have that as a value. Right. This feels like a great point to transition into the resources because we are still both learning a lot. And we want to point you towards the resources that have helped us the most. And we would love to hear from you if you have other things that we should be reading or following or checking out. The first one I want to recommend is Your Fat Friend, who is a person who talks about all kinds of body stuff on both Twitter and Instagram. You can follow her there. Two Instagram accounts that I have really loved following are Body Paza Panda, which is Megan Jane Crab, and Danny Adriana. The last Instagram-only recommendation that I would make is Kate J. Bayer, who is a poet on Instagram, who also talks a lot about body positivity specifically around her body and mothering, which I Mm. really appreciate right now. Mm -hmm. For podcasts, I really love the Food Psych podcast with Christy Harrison, and I'll link up a couple of my favorite episodes. I think she's getting close to 200 episodes at this point, so there's a lot of content there. And that's a good one because she is interviewing other people that are Mm -hmm. working and living in this space, and so you might find someone who you really love through listening to her interview them. Yes. Another podcast that I love is the She's All Fat podcast. And I think we have touched on that in our podcast episode, Mm -hmm. potentially. Yep. But that's a great one. It's a conversation between two friends. And they talk about a lot of this stuff. There are also a lot of books that I have loved. I've loved The Effort Diet by Carolyn Dooner, which just recently came out. Body Positive Power by Megan Jane Crabb is also excellent. And I think that one's a really great entry point. Mm. Health at Every Size by Linda Bacon, and really any of her work, talks about the science or lack thereof 
in terms of a connection between body size and health and really pushes back against the medical establishment and the way they view people in larger bodies. The last one I'll recommend is Shrill by Lindy West. And that was the first memoir that I had read that really touched on these issues. And I think I read it before I was really ready. I think it was a moment of having that seed planted and Mm. having those ideas start percolating and that continued to grow. And in terms of reading, the person that I would recommend is Virginia Soul Smith. So she has a book, The Eating Instinct, which Sarah, you reviewed on an Mm -hmm. earlier pod. Excellent. Which love that book. (laughs) And that really speaks to a lot of the stuff around dieting and eating that we didn't go into super detail here, but that's a great resource for that. Mm -hmm. And also really good in terms of thinking about food and your kids and body positivity. I also really love following her on Instagram. And then she is a working journalist. So she's continually writing stuff like this. Mm -hmm. The reported essay of hers that I would recommend that she wrote most recently that we can link to in the show notes is about fertility Mm -hmm. and size. And that was just a really fantastic, eye-opening, at times infuriating read. Yes. And she was also on the Food Psych podcast. So we'll make sure to link up that interview specifically because that's how I originally heard about her and her book. We would love to continue this conversation. If any of you have resources that we should look into, please send them our way. We are always looking to learn more. We're going to end by sharing something that we've been eating. Mine is actually something I've been making slash drinking, which is Mm. homemade kombucha. Intriguing. Yes. This is something that I tried back before HP was born with success in Austin. But then after he was born, even though it's not very much work, it felt like too much work. (laughs) (laughs) I know that. I know that game. So it was abandoned for years and recently came back to it. A neighbor gave me a SCOBY to get started. And it's really quite simple. You make some tea, add some sugar. Once that cools to room temperature, you add in the SCOBY and let sit for seven days until it is at your preferred kombuchiness. <laughs> <laughs> My kids have really loved it. I have not yet experimented with the second fermentation, which is when you can add fruit or ginger or other things, and then mm. it gets fizzy. And would oh, okay. more closely replicate store-bought varieties. Mm. But I am planning to try that soon. I was recently at a neighbor's house who was doing the second fermentation, got some tips, and I'm going to try that out. But even just the most basic one is a hit in our family and much cheaper than trying to purchase kombucha. I had no idea there were even two fermentations. Mm-hmm. I kind of assumed that it would be fizzy after just the first round. Learning things all the time. Indeed. What have you been eating? I'm going to talk about something that in our family we call adult Lunchables, which is not really only for adults because kids (laughs) like it too. I would say this is a slightly elevated version of your typical Lunchable Okay. in that you buy summer sausage from the store, you buy a good hard cheese. Mm Mm-hmm. And your cracker of choice, ours is Ritz. And then you cut them up and eat them like a Lunchable. (laughs) There's really not much else to say about it, except that this was Andrew's brilliant idea when we were meeting some friends at the pool in their neighborhood. 
And I was like, I cannot think anymore about what to feed our family. You be in charge of this. And he came up with it. And I'm planning to have this on offer again for a dinner this week. Love it. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Sarah, and with all of you listeners. You can find us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram, at friendlierpodcast, or email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could take just a couple of minutes to rate and review the show on iTunes. It warms our hearts whenever we see those, and it also helps other people find the show. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. Prime candidates for this situation. Yes. Linen. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> We're that nine minutes in. We are not out of this section. I almost um, texted you to be like, can we do this tomorrow? Because I'm like totally brain dead from that drive yesterday. Yeah. Um, but let me just. Do you want to? We can call it. No. <laughs> Let me just start over. All right. Tenth time's the charm for starting (laughs) off this segment. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Do you want me to set you up in some kind of way or? Uh, I mean, if you think so, I can also just say another way that it shaped. Yeah, yeah. Do that. And then continue. (laughs) I can just keep monologuing. You keep monologuing, girl. (laughs) I think it's another thing where it's like, oh, well, now that it's happened to me, I'm so much more empathetic. But I guess that's just true of life. So, um. (laughs) and then you cut them up and eat them like a lunchable. That's that's really that's, it. that's all there is to say about it. <laughs> I, okay, here we go. You can find us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, is it is it called iTunes or is it called Apple Podcasts? Now? Oh, should I say that? Okay. People know what I mean. Do I need That's to change fine. it? Let's just roll with it. Let's roll with it. Let's yeah. just stop while we're yeah. <laughs> not ahead. <laughs> <laughs>